Welcome to the Zells Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. This week, I've got Dr. Ernie Reimer in the house, actually out of Kentucky, near Louisville. He's a sports scientist and has created some amazing items that will help from rehab to return to performance with his company, Fit, F-Y-T-T. While you're thinking about sports science and science in general, you may want to be heading to the East Coast, January 27th, 28th, to Physio X Physical Therapy in Needham, Massachusetts, where I'll be doing a course called Implementing Foot Wedges into Exercise Programs for Improved Performance. I'll also be following that up on the West Coast the following weekend, February 3rd and 4th, in Capitola, California at RFC. For more information, just go to RockySnyder.com. While you're at it, follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Click the subscribe button and enjoy the show. Well, welcome back to another episode of Zealous. This week, I've got Ernie Reimer, PhD, with me, and we're just going to jump right in. He is an expert in sports science, and I love geeking out on science. So Ernie is about to give us a full-on course. I won't say 101. I think we're beyond that now, but we're going to dive into sports science, what he's doing, his path, and so on. So first of all, Dr. Ernie Reimer, welcome to Zealous. Uh, thank you, Rocky. It's a pleasure to be here, and I can see that there's been a lot of amazing guests on here. So it's it's an honor and privilege to be able to to join that uh, group of guests, and I'm ready to go today. Right on. So let's just get right into it. I'm I'm wondering where did your passion get ignited? You grew up in Southern Arizona, and I'm sure there's a lot of activities there. But what 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 drove you into the world of sports science? Yeah, I mean, if we if you are referencing back that far growing up in Southern Arizona, I mean, when I was in high school, growing up, I was a bigger, faster, stronger athlete. And one of the one of the things that the bigger, faster, stronger program does that I think is missed still today in, a, in the highest levels is that uh, it helps to build a lot of intrinsic motivation because everything in that program is about to is about uh, breaking your own personal records on a daily basis and and over time. And, and I was using that program all through the years and really became obsessed with the exercise and training process. And when I, when I entered university, I actually entered uh, as a film production major because I'm also a bit of an art artist and I was much more of an artist back then. And I thought I wanted to go into film production. And what I noticed after about a year and a half of classes at the university of Arizona, I was spending all of my time literally reading textbooks on nutrition and training. And then I finally saw the writing on the wall that I was putting a lot more time into this other hobby than I was my education, that, that hobby, film production. So I, I finally started to explore universities within Arizona, made the jump from University of Arizona up to Northern Arizona University where they had an exercise science major. And that was really the start of it for me. Well, we've got that in common. I was a fine arts major the first few semesters at the university. And, and my means of procrastinating was hitting the gym and going down and lifting when it was time to study or work on a project. So somewhere along the way, it kind of clicked in. But so you became a strength conditioning coach. And from there, is that where the doors opened for sports science? Almost. I, I was a strength conditioning coach at, I, I developed myself as a strength conditioning coach at Northern Arizona University. I did several internships, really wanted to explore my path as a strength conditioning coach. 
And at Northern Arizona University, I got my first uh, full-time job there as an assistant strength conditioning coach. And uh, after a few years of that, I was employed by the sports science department of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association as a strength and conditioning specialist for the U.S. women's alpine ski team. So this, this idea to be employed by the sports science department attracted me. Now, rewind a few years from there, I did an internship at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista. And there, there they had a person whose title was director of sports science, but that was kind of in the United States, that, that title was extremely rare. All Maybe that was the only director of sports science in the United States at the time. And, and so then fast forward a few years to be hired by the sports science department at the U.S. ski team. I thought that was pretty fascinating. So that was really my first immersion to this concept of sports science, although at the time I was a strength and conditioning specialist there at the U.S. ski team. So you lived in Park City and hung out with a bunch of female skiers. That must have been tough, Ernie. It, well, actually, <laughs> it, it it had its challenges because, uh, first of all, I didn't know how to ski, and I had never traveled extensively to different countries. And uh, so when you land in, in Munich and you have to make a drive on the Autobahn to a mountain range in Austria that I've never been to in different languages. It was pretty tough. But the other thing that that was actually challenging is that those skiers are extremely motivated and they have very, very high expectations of the people that are helping them being their coaches and their support staff. <laughs> okay, I was being sarcastic in a way, but now that you put it out like that, what an amazing growth rate you must have gone through. I mean, they just basically threw you right into the fire, but in this case, it was an avalanche. It truly was. I mean, uh, I teach leadership courses now within the healthcare system, and I tell stories about my time at the ski team, talking about how in order to, to really be successful, you have to be willing to fall on flat on your face, and you have to allow the people around you to help you help them be more successful. And my first time, my first experience with the ski team, I was three weeks into the job. We were in New Zealand. I'd skied two days in my life. And this is the first time I'm meeting all of the coaches and the athletes that I'm going to be working around. And I literally fell on my face, meaning crashed on my skis 40 times my first day on snow. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I know Greg Rose with TPI when I was going through some of those courses there with him and, and Dave Phillips and Jason Glass and the other guys there, Tom House. And, uh, but Greg would say he would pick up a club and he says, if you don't, if you don't play golf, don't ever touch this. This is poison. If you're going to be working with golfers and you grab a club, they're going to tell instantly if you understand the sport in regards to like participation, but but you grabbed the skis and, and you went for it. And so how was it that you achieved respect? Just kind of like a, a side note conversation here. If they see you put on the skis and, and you're crashing down the bunny slopes, the intermediate slopes right away. I mean, how, how did you earn, how did you earn their respect? Well, for the record, I wasn't just crashing down the bunny slopes because they don't ski on bunny slopes. So I was literally <laughs> on really difficult terrain. And it, it took a little time. I, I think the a couple of days into that trap that that trip, we got to do our first dry land session, 
I, I got some advice from the coaches. Hey, like we are skiing. So uh, this is going to be their first interaction. And I just did a session. And afterwards, some of the coaches who were watching, everyone was vetting me. The athletes were testing me and they're just like, hey, they were really engaged. Nice job. And what everyone had to recognize was that I wasn't coming on to be a ski coach. I was coming on to be their strength conditioning coach and a high performance a health and performance liaison. And so my expertise wasn't in skiing. My expertise was in helping athletes develop the physical fitness they needed to get better at their craft and to be able to uh, pursue their craft with greater intensity, greater volume, and without as much risk of injury. That, that, that was really the core of it. And over time, I think the athletes started to buy into that. Okay. And then with that experience, you were, you were in it. You were like sports science. I'm not going to leave strength conditioning necessarily because it's a part of it, but I want to pursue this, this whole emerging field. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, it is. And it's like you said, a, a, a period of exponential growth, right? So I come into the sports science department, I'm traveling, I'm understanding different world cultures and how to fit in. I'm understanding how to meet the expectations of really high level, highly motivated athletes. And I'm surrounded by a group of people who are truly exceptional in their own way. When I was employed by the US ski team, I was surrounded by a handful of people who had PhDs. Uh, as uh, it is true today, it, it's fairly rare for a sport organization to have more than one PhD today. But this was the years 2007 to 2013. And we have a PhD in sports nutrition. We have a PhD in biochemistry. We have a PhD in physiology. And I'm surrounded around these people. And I'm learning all these skills and gaining all this new knowledge in these other in these areas outside of strength and conditioning. At this time, we're still the sports science department, and I'm really open to this idea. And I'm growing, like you said, at, at a very rapid rate with my own knowledge and skills and insight as a professional. But the way things evolved over the years is that with the Olympic ski cycle, you have about six to eight weeks in the summertime to do true bona fide strength and conditioning, where that is the highest priority. And then you go on all these on snow camps. So in August, at the time while I was there, we would go to New Zealand. So now what issues are we dealing with? We're, we're going to have jet lag. And then we are going to hit our, in about 20 days, about, a, about 20 days being in New Zealand, we're likely gonna ski 18 days. And every one of those days, we're likely going to do two sessions. So think of like two a days in camp, but we have jet lag, we're skiing two days. And then we're going to fly back to the United States. We're going to deal with jet lag to recover from that trip. We have two to three weeks, and now we're going to Chile. It, we're going to live and train at high altitude. And now we have to deal with that. It's not a jet lag issue, but how do we help these athletes perform at a high level? Two a days again and also live at high altitude when maybe they haven't been exposed to that. Then we're going to come back for two to three weeks and recover from all of that. And then now we're going to Austria for three weeks, more jet lag, training at high level, residing at lower altitude. And then we come back for one to three weeks. And now we're going to Colorado for another camp and then straight into the world cup season. So once I started to get the hang of this, what I realized is that I was doing a lot more sports science and a lot less strength conditioning because my job on a year-round basis uh, was 
dedicated to strength conditioning for about eight weeks. But then the rest of the year, it was really committed to helping these athletes train at the highest possible level every day they got on snow and having to manage all these different issues of physiology, environmental stress, jet lag, and all these other issues to help them cope and, and deal with those environmental constraints so that they could perform at a high level. And obviously this applies to the World Cup season as well. So for me, the aha moment was that like, I'm not actually a strength conditioning coach, I'm something else. And what that was, was a sports scientist. But the real aha moment for me was that, and, and this isn't to take away from strength conditioning coaches, but when we were getting ready for the 2010 Olympic Games, we wanted to bring these machines with us to the Olympic Village. Now, I work in this environment where we're going to turn over every possible stone. It's not, no, you can't do that, or you, you're not allowed to do that. It was, yes, let's figure out how to do things. And there's these machines, they're called agaton machines. And... Uh, these, what they are is they, they're super maximal eccentric training machines. So it, they're leg presses. So what happens is you lift one side up, then the machine will lift the other side and it lowers the weight, twice as much weight down on you. It'll lift that side up for you. Then you lift up concentrically, then eccentrically, you lower down a heavier uh, set of weight. We, ours was par powered by air pressure, but at, at a university down South called uh, Brigham Young, they we we had heard that they had three of those devices electronic devices in their weight room so i reached out to coach omer the head strength coach at the time he's in his 60s he's getting close to retirement and uh, he told me if you could fix these machines because they've been broken down for years just taking up space in our weight room if you can fix them you can bring them to vancouver with you for the olympics so i got nice. to some, yeah so i got to spend some time in that weight room operating on these machines it's a swedish company doesn't exist it's in different languages no one's going to know how to repair these so what i ended up doing was taking one and using parts in that to fix what seemed to be the broken parts in the other two so we got two of them working and we brought two to vancouver with us while i was there though what i observed was was that coach omer just seemed like he was he had lost his steam as a strength conditioning coach so he's in his 60s. You've got a college football team in the weight room. That should be a very electric and exciting environment. It was. But Coach Omer, he would sit on the crash bar and he'd watch the workout and let the guys train. And I kind of looked at myself at this time and I said, you know, like when I really look at what I'm doing, living in the weight room, doing strength conditioning, and I fast forward to my career to when I'm in my early 60s and I decided like I didn't want to do that. So it was time for me to broaden my horizons. Nice. Wow. That's amazing. And I, I gotta, I gotta say when most of the time I talk sports science to, to colleagues and, and guests on the show, there's two items that almost always pop up and that is force plates and GPS, because it's, it's the, the go-to tools for many professionals that are investigating sports science and, and maybe they are sports scientists themselves, but uh, they're very applicable to the sports, but you bring up a, a bigger realm. And, and I think that's important for the listening audience to, to recognize that sports science is everything we eat, breathe and do to make us better at whatever pursuit we are going for and, and athletic and otherwise. But right now it's, it's in the world of sports. So sleep cycles, environmental considerations, as you say, traveling, 
uh, of course, food and and drink. I mean, we're looking at nutrition, we're looking at performance, we're looking at sleep. Everything is going to encompass it. So honestly, it seems like you know, the, the world of sports has a blank check when it comes to sports science and, and going, hey, we, we don't know yet. Let's explore this and that. And I, I think with that too, though, we also, we kind, I won't say we fall into a trap, but with so much research out there in so many different avenues, so many different directions, we haven't had enough time to replicate the research or to do complementary studies that show validity or efficacy or, or um, accuracy to, to the studies that are out there. Do, do you find that? Yeah, I do. And, and I agree with you. I, a lot of times in the United States, uh, sports science said, says uh, it's got to be technology and it's data analytics. That, so, so two of the major pieces of technology we talk about in the current state of sports science in the United States are force plates and GPS, like you said. But, and at the beginning of the show, you said maybe this won't be sports science 101. We're past that. But if force plates and GPS is where you and our audience are on sports science, then really this is a sports science 101 conversation because you're right. Sports science is truly bigger than gadgets and data analytics and data visualization. Uh, truly, uh, for me, my philosophy is that sports science is the study of sport. And what we study really just depends on what our issues are and what our goals may be. And so if your goals are to maximize athlete health and performance, and that's that's what our sports science emphasis revolves around, remember that when you and I pass the CSCS exam, there's a big section that is uh, on scientific principles. And when the registered dietitian passed their exam, there's a big, big section on the scientific pr uh, principles of, of nutrition. And when the athletic trainer passed their um, ATC exam, there was a big section on scientific principles, the primary care sports medicine physician, the applied sports psychologist, the sports mental health professional, whoever they may be, all of us pass a big science test to be able to become the subject matter expert that we are. But if we start to just modify how we operate as professionals just a little bit, if we don't leave that those scientific principles behind and we bring some of those scientific processes for, forward with us, then truly all of us have the potential to be a sports scientist. I just happen to be one who considers myself to be a bit of a jack of all trades. Got it. Got it. So it, essentially, I mean, you're looking at sports science as an all-encompassing term that covers everything that that the athletes or non-athletes alike are doing. So I guess this brings me to a, a question outside the realm of sports in a way into more of the general populace because you're in Louisville and you're at a health, uh, what, what is the name of the place that you now reside or work at? Well, I reside in Louisville, Kentucky and my employer is U of L Health where the healthcare system that is tied to the University of Louisville. Uh, great, because I, I think this it goes into my question. How do you apply your expertise to the non-athletic population? I'm thinking about the uh, the huge population of baby boomers that are now in their 70s and beyond, um, and the aging Gen X and so on. Is is there a role that sports science is is playing there? 
I, I would say so. I, you know, the company mission, and I'll read it, I just pulled it up, is as an academic healthcare system, we will transform the health of the communities we serve through compassionate, innovative, and patient-centered care. So when you, when you really think about that, the reason why I'm in the position I'm in, to be fortunate enough to be in this position, is that our hospital system truly wants to transfer the services and the level of application and innovation that happens at the highest level of sport to uh, the general population and different patient uh, populations in the community. Can you give me a little example of that? Yeah, so as you know, in professional sport, in college sport, we are privileged to have sports scientists, strength conditioning coaches, mental health, mental performance, sports medicine, sports nutrition. We have all these practitioners who are essentially forming these health and performance teams around the different sports. And then that's what we do at the highest level. But what about the high schools? What do they have? Do they have that same level of application and support? And at UofL Health, we also provide sports medicine services to 14 high schools in the community. And so what that means is that we have full-time athletic trainers positioned at all these different high schools. But as we dive into this further, we, we now have introduced strength and conditioning coaches to those high schools that are furnished by UofL Health. And those strength conditioning coaches now have technology in their hands, software, other physical assessment technologies in their hands to be able to serve these high school kids. And not only that, but our physical therapy clinic now has force plates, uh, markerless motion capture systems to be able to treat the patients that they serve from the gin pop. So the things that we do in this high level of sport are finding their way into physical therapy clinics in the community. They're finding their way into the high schools in the community. And with this effort, we've also been able to establish like different types of uh, services that the community can access on a, on a pay per service uh, basis. So if they wanna come in for high level assessments, like return to play assessments, we're, we're creating that access to our community. This is all funded through UofL? UofL Health. Uh, that's remarkable. Are there other, are there other groups that are doing the same for high schools in their in their neighborhood and their community? I believe that there may be. We we've been more tuned into healthcare systems who are supporting their their collegiate or their professional sports teams, and we we have more examples of that. We've been able to track down more examples of that. Probably not to the extent as U of L Health is is doing but um, we haven't tracked down as many examples where the healthcare system is truly supporting the local high schools and uh, youth athletes in the community that's phenomenal that's 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 commendable also that's that's just great to hear i i don't i can't come to mind of anything like that i mean honestly there's yeah, there's there's healthcare groups that are sponsoring teams, and therefore their sports med team will be there for for that team in which they're sponsoring. But it, I don't believe it trickles down into the colleges, junior colleges, and high schools in, in the vicinity there. But uh, well, that's great. Now let's just segue over to your company, Fit. Give me a little understanding about what that's all about. 
Fit is a it's a strength conditioning software at its core. Um, for for me, there's there's a couple of components I I would like to uh, introduce to the industry, and and I have this product uh, Fit to be able to do that. Um, and that is uh, the the notion of the so-called high performance model, uh, creating a platform where uh, different practitioners can come together and transparently. Uh, transparently program and administer and view the exercise programming going to athletes. And uh, this for me goes back a good almost 20 years now. And um, um, from like 2003 to about 2006, I started to learn how to use Microsoft Excel at a really high level. And by 2005, I launched our first really comprehensive strength conditioning management system using Microsoft Excel. A lot of people are still building those systems in Excel. I would say Microsoft Excel is still the primary way that practitioners design it, design plan and then deliver programs to their athletes. And, and the system I developed in 2005 and six would rival uh, most systems that people are developing today in Excel. But over the years, I developed with each stop, um, I developed more and more strength conditioning management systems based on the uh, the methodologies that different strength conditioning coaches wanted to use. And so as, as you fast forward through this journey, building a strength conditioning management system for different coaches at NAU, then at the US ski team, then at University of Utah, each of my stops along the way, finally, uh, a person who was eventually going to become a colleague of mine, Todd Miller, he reaches out to a faculty member at Utah and says, I'm looking for someone who has exercise data on athletes. That professor introduced Todd to me, and I learned a little bit about what Todd was trying to accomplish. I let him know I have a long history in strength conditioning management systems, and we decided we would uh, come together and found this product fit, which we launched to the market in, in 2020. And just after uh, we went home for COVID is when we uh, launched to the market. And uh, it, it's truly just a strength conditioning system, which allows practitioners to design and deliver exercise programs to athletes. So an athletic trainer can develop your risk mitigation programs, your prehab programs, even rehab, the strength conditioning coach can do that. And it can all be done seamlessly in one platform and then deliver to the athlete. There's other products like ours on the market. I would say that the thing that makes our product pretty special is that, uh, you know, I'm still heavily involved with the company. I'm still a director of sports science for a major university. And that's pretty unique because a lot of the companies that are out there and gaining prominence don't necessarily have that. Um, we also just have some sophisticated features that I feel can really benefit some people. But we have a lot of happy customers out there. Um, it, it's really it improved the workflow for the strength conditioning coach. And uh, I think the athletes appreciate the experience as well. You know, as a sports scientist, for me, it's, it's, it's really important to honor the mission of our company, which is to transform the health of the communities we serve and uh, be able to take the things we're doing at the highest level and push that into the community. Um, our system is being used by our high schools, but it's more than that for me. Like I really just wanna give something back to the profession and the industry. And if this product is a legacy I can leave to the industry, I hope that I can. Uh, through this. Um, hopefully, uh, I'm just getting started. There'll be other big things I can do that can leave a big, powerful legacy within the industry and really improve the health of the practitioner, not just the athlete. Uh, but uh, when you go back to 
what we talked about at the U.S. ski team, this world of, of exponential growth. As a sports scientist, I hope that the influence that I can have in my place of work or in the industry is that when people come to and work at University of Louisville, they walk away and they look back and they say, my time at Louisville was a time in my career where I grew exponentially more so than my other stops, the same way that I can say that about the ski team. And I hope that people who maybe em embrace a product like Fit come in and go, our ability to consult and interact with this company helped me get on an exponential growth curve and my knowledge and skills as a practitioner that I wouldn't have seen anywhere else. And so in a way, we're, we're still embracing that, that mission. But for me, it, it's, it's to really help as a sports scientist, I'm trying to help everyone around me and create a, an environment where everyone around me uh, can grow exponentially, even if they don't interact with me on a day-by-day -day basis. Uh, marvelous. So with this program, this software, you bring in the athletic trainer with the strength coach. So is it my understanding that you can go from acute care all the way through the spectrum, return to performance to peak performance with with everyone collaborating with it. And it is just this kind of seamless progression from from that acute to peak. That that is the vision is is under this this notion of the high performance model. You have this idea that everyone is fully integrated. And they're working together for the benefit of the athlete and the sports that they serve. And But we have certain constraints in that. For example, a very common thing might be the strength conditioning coach has their program. Maybe it lives on a yeah. spreadsheet or a piece of paper. But the sports medicine team doesn't have ready access to that to evaluate what's happening. Yeah. So they can't pinpoint recovery methods as easily. They can't modify their risk mitigation strategies. They may not even know that they're doing an ankle in low back prevention program and the strength coaches are too. So in some cases, maybe they're double upping on the athletes. In some cases, maybe collectively the group is missing some of those things to, to complete the entire exercise and recovery package that's going to athletes. And the spirit and the vision, one, one of those uh, for FIT is to, to try to bring those professionals together. So to answer your question, without a doubt, the, the hope is that someday athletic trainers strength coaches in a sport organization, it's like, okay, let's, let's start designing the rehab program right here in fit. We do have constraints around that because now when those, when you do that, now that information needs to get into an electronic medical record and now understanding how to do that for the athletic trainer and how to do that for the physical therapist is, is a challenge that we face. But the idea is that yes, you can go in athletic trainers and strength coaches can program together. We've had We've had people do that before. Uh, one of our pro soccer teams, the athletic trainer and strength coach, developed the entire training program off season and in season together. When you open it up, you don't actually know whose hands were on what. It was one seamless program. We yeah. also have, we yes, we also have the capability where the strength coach can have their domain, the athletic trainer can have the, theirs. It's scheduled as two separate programs but everyone can see that on the same page. And then it delivers seamlessly to the athlete in one location where the athlete goes in one login and sees what they have from their athletic trainer, their strength conditioning coach, et cetera. So we just have a lot of flexibility and freedom to truly bring people together, one platform, be able to manage your entire program literally on one screen, and then be able to push that out to the athletes. So 
So I, I think, you know, for me, being a huge advocate of interdisciplinary practice, bringing the different professionals together, we're trying to bring that a lot to life through this software. Well, that's a huge recipe right there. So many moving parts, so many ingredients, and, and you get all the cooks kind of collaborating and working together so they don't bump into each other and, and ruin, the, ruin the sauce, so to speak. I, so this is something that I imagine is still in the in development. I'm even though you've got a product out there with the with with lit, with fit, but uh, at the same time, there's there's more ideas coming to you. And how am I going to integrate this? How am I going to get these? As you say, like the medical records themselves. Other kind of issues right now that you're or hurdles uh, that you're having to jump over. I would say the biggest hurdle that we face as a company is that um, most people in the sports sciences and, and in the technology space, they want hardware. Uh, they, they most most people want to invest in hardware, something to assess the athlete. They don't want to invest in software, something that's going to manage data to make it easier for you to now implement training from that data. So the example would be, I believe you have technology in your practice. And uh, the example would be, okay, we've done this sophisticated technology. It's eliciting these, these, these different outcomes in, in the data. But now how do you go from data to intervention? We, we, we're, it's not sports science just to collect data and visualize it, right? We have to, it's applied sports science when we actually do something about the data we see on the screen. And there's a big disconnect there that uh, that I think the industry is missing. We collect all this data, even if we get good at visualizing it and having a cool dashboard, how do we go from data to intervention? And, and I think that uh, one of the constraints we face is that um, most people in the industry are still just really attracted to having hardware technologies that can measure athletes in some way to get a lot of data but if most people are being really honest with themselves, how much of that data are they actually using to modify the training for the athlete in real time? And so one sure, of that's going to require education, um, knowledge, right? It's, it's going to require more than just looking at a couple of numbers and going, okay, well, that's good. Let's keep on going with what we're doing. And, and a couple numbers when, when you're using one piece of technology, but it's more complicated than that. I mean, now that force plates are available everywhere, one force plate company uh, offers over 200 metrics from a single counter movement jump. Another, the other one offers, you know, maybe well over 50 to 60 from a single counter movement jump, right? But that's just one piece. So now I have a couple numbers, sure. But now I have 200 variables for a single jump. <laughs> but what about all the other assessments, the wearable tech and all these other things that we're doing? It's yeah. really, really hard to take all that data on an athlete and go, what is this athlete supposed to do? And to help solve that, because this is my DNA has, has uh, as a practitioner is um, goes back to the early 2000s. I did an internship with the Indianapolis Colts and there John Terrine and Richard Howell introduced me to this thing called the functional movement screen. They're getting ready to implement that uh, for the first time in their program that year when I was there and they gave me a VHS and this little um, spiral bound notebook and said, hey, we want you to learn how to do this. We're going to be testing all of our, our players uh, when they start to come for the offseason. Okay, cool. 
but the vision there, uh, I was fortunate enough. Gray Cook came out a couple times uh, because, you know, the Colts would furnish a trip for him to come out and get to sit there at the table and, and learn from him directly. But the whole vision behind it was you want to test your athletes frequently and then automatically change the, the intervention, the exercise intervention they're going to do to improve their deficiencies today. But at that time, the state of the art was we would test the athletes and now we have a piece of uh, paper on printed on cardstock and you'd manually go in and write down what their intervention would be. But because of time constraints, we probably wouldn't test them again for another four weeks, maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks. So they'd be on the same kind of corrective intervention for all that time. Uh -huh. But what Gray wanted, and this goes back uh, to 2003, what he wanted was whatever their biggest limitation is, they're going to work on that. And when they come in for the very next session, you're going to assess them in that. And if they clear it, you're moving on to the next thing immediately right now today. That was the vision. But at the time, we didn't have the technology to be able to do that. By 2005, I mentioned that strength conditioning management system. The whole motivation behind it was to be able to automate corrective routines from the functional movement screen. Now, uh, we, we, there are different things that people are doing for movement screens. Remember, we're talking 2005. This is nearly 20 years ago, but that's what we were doing at the time. So just to be clear about that. But our vision was we want to be able to, we want to, be able to collect data on hundreds of athletes that we have in the collegiate athletic department and then automate an intervention for them in as close to real time as possible. What we, what we narrowed it down to was the ability to do that on a week-by-week -week basis. So literally the athletes could come in we would test their highest need. If they cleared, we had marked that. We'd go into the computer and then it would produce their automated intervention based on their next highest need. The next week, they would have a new intervention. And so we were able to get that by 2005 using Microsoft Excel. Well, to do that, you have to, you have to write all this really complicated code, right? So uh, you have to write all this complicated code and manage your data. If, if this, then that, and or all these things. Well, you asked, you asked me what one of the constraints are for us as a company. People want to collect data. They want to invest in the hardware. Where we're missing is the ability to go from the data we collect to the intervention. Be able to use my knowledge, my intellect, and look at the athlete's data and say, if I see this, I want this to happen. Well, FIT now unlocks that by allowing you to enter your data into this software. You could write your own decision trees. So you get to choose your own tests. You get to map your own decision trees without code. It's written in plain English. You just write sentences to say, if the force plate test variable is greater than this value and this and this, then I want them in this group. Now you assign training, your own training to that group. So there's no black box here, right? Aren't you frustrated by the companies who give you their assessment, they have their black box algorithm that says, here's the intervention, but you can't actually change that. You have to buy their, right. buy their interventions. FIT has gotten rid of that. You get to choose the data that goes in. You get to map it in your own way. You get to choose the interventions. And it changes in real time. I know I'm sounding pitchy right now, but this is, this it, it's, it's really no, it's about what I do talk about what I do every day. Um, University of Louisville and our high schools both have a FIT account. So it's something that I do do and I use on a daily basis for my own practice. So I apologize to you and the audience if I sound pitchy, but, but we're trying to just help the audience see it's not just about assessing your athletes. It's 
assessing your athletes and doing something about it. And I hope that someday people embrace products like Fit because we've unlocked the ability to easily do something about it. No, I think that's great. And I, whether it's pitchy or not, Ernie, I don't mind because it it really is it, it's refreshing to hear because we're talking about predetermined protocol with the other programs. Like here is the methodology and we've set it up on this computer program. And all you have to do is plug in these joint angles or these restrictions or these outcomes of whatever assessment you're doing. And it gives you, without having to think, it's basically they're trying to do the thinking for you, which is a, a, for me, that's a black hole. I don't want to even go in there because it doesn't allow me to learn and it doesn't give me any consideration into my perspective as to what this athlete or client or patient needs. So that's really a, a welcoming words as far as I'm concerned, because for my own perspective, I know that a lot of compensatory patterns are developed because of prior injuries or experiences, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or whatnot. And and a lot of these programs aren't taking that into consideration. They're going to be more symptom-centric. And, and there's protocols for this symptom or that symptom, when in fact, the symptom could could manifest for a, for a myriad of reasons, and it's not being addressed. So to actually be able to create your own considerations into that is, is something else. So that's, that's remarkable. And, and kudos to you for taking such an undertaking, because I can only imagine how much coding, how much work that must have taken. I, obviously, it's been years in the making here, but it's, it's really quite cool to, to hear. So, I mean, this is a good opportunity just to give us more inside information on on the program or on your product if people are interested this is where i'll do the pitchy and and just hey we all share and uh and in this industry there's there's no such thing as uh trade secrets so you know share this with everybody i really appreciate that well first of all our website is fit.io f-y-t-t.io that's where you can find us and it's it's really easy to gain access to us. Uh, a lot of our customers deal directly with me. Um, they like to interact with me, the uh, person who's on the ground trying to solve the same problems as them. So um, we, we have mechanisms in place. If you sign up for a trial and ask for me, then uh, you can, you, you'll get me. If you want a demo, uh, go through your demo and you ask for me, you'll get me. And uh, that's, that's what's been really cool about it. Um, my organization embraces the effort. So it, it's pretty cool that I could talk about this freely and don't have to worry about those types of concerns. So it's been great. But I, I think one of the things you said, though, was, was you talked about uh, automatically having that intelligence. But what I like to say is that our product allows you, the practitioner, to automate your own intellect. Because you're not looking for someone to come in and tell you how to how, what to test how to map it and what interventions to do because you have this whole experience and you've you've done your own research and you have an art to what you do and my black box technology isn't going to marry with that very well. So that's why we allow you to automate your intellect. Hey, these are the data points I'm bringing in. This is how I'm mapping those data points to different interventions. It could be quite complex. But the beauty in it is this. Um, 
the, the beauty is this, that when you automate your intellect like that, there, there, there's a physical, almost this physical systematic structure to how you're intervening with your athletes or your, your customers. And, and if you, let's, let's say you have a dis decision tree where you have 10 data points and from those 10 data points, you're going to map to 20 interventions. Now that sounds like a lot, but our, our trophy customer uses 30 data points to map to 650 automated interventions and they've mapped it themselves. So, so, but, but the beauty in that is that you could say, okay, so remember I said, we have 20 interventions and, and intervention one through 15, the numbers are changing. When we go back to the assessment, things are changing the way we want to, but why isn't 16 through 20 changing? At least you, the practitioner know that somewhere the performance isn't changing or the adaptations aren't taking place with those specific interventions, something needs to change in your practice. And you will know it beyond any reasonable doubt because you were the one who mapped it to there. So you can now start to think critically about the interventions you're doing in 16 to 20. Maybe I need to modify my decision tree. Maybe I need to modify my intervention. Maybe I need to modify the way I'm assessing athletes in these programs to see if I can get the needle to move. But that's that's the beauty in it is that you are, are now in the driver's seat of that. And it's really clear and robust. You're not blowing smoke in anyone's mirror saying, I'm bucketing athletes. Okay, how are you bucketing? Oh, well, we do it by eye. We sit around in the room when we put athletes in. No, you're, you're bucketing athletes using objective data that you've collected, and you're bucketing them into those categories. You're training them to see if you're now moving the needle because they were in that category for a reason. And so that's what's beautiful about it, I think, because a, a big part of sports science as a strength conditioning pra practitioner is, is to truly evaluate the effectiveness or audit your strength conditioning program, so to speak, is to say, okay, if I'm training for speed and I do this training, then speed should improve. If I'm training for maximum strength and hypertrophy, then strength and hypertrophy should improve if that's what the goal of the program is, right? If I'm training for improved cardiorespiratory fitness, improved body composition, uh, maintaining some muscle mass, but also reducing fat weight and, and improving my cardiorespiratory fitness, then you should see those numbers change if that's what the program's doing. The beauty in automating your intellect is that it's extremely systematic. You are in control of it all. You can see if the, the numbers are moving the way you want them to based on the way you've, you've funneled that athlete into their intervention. Beautiful. I love it. Um, I'm going to definitely check some things out. This is something that's been on my mind especially with the work that I do because in, in my realm there's so many protocols and they're based on symptoms or situations and again they, there's a whole bunch of ways that symptoms can be produced in the same area of the body um, high hamstring pull there is many many reasons why that could occur for the way in which somebody organized their body so having one protocol for the that issue is has not proven to be successful and we can see that just in the nfl with the number of recurring injuries or other sports for that matter not to pick on the nfl itself but this is great ernie i really appreciate your time and and getting to know a little bit more um i will say we did 102 sports science not quite 101 although i will admit that i am the dumbest guy in this room right now 
And, and I love that because you taught me so much and maybe I can walk away with a little bit more understanding. And I appreciate your time. And uh, I just want to say thank you. I'll make sure that all of the, the links, the appropriate links are in the description with the, the podcast. So thank you again for your time. And, and thank you, Rocky, and all the listeners. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about uh, my product and my career. It's been great. And, uh, you know, you really... If we had another hour, we would we would go into uh, a topic of uh, that you said recurring injuries. Uh, so um, that's that's a, a big interest of mine. It's something I studied in my PhD, but uh, that we're going to have to save that for another episode. I'm afraid. I think that's a good idea. So that's what we'll do. We'll have you back and we'll talk about just that because it is huge. It's a huge topic of discussion within the the realm of sports. So thanks again. Thank you, sir. Well, that brings this episode of Zealous to a close. I want to thank you for listening and thank Ernie for coming on. And if you're interested in FIT, well, you can check the descriptions below. In the meantime, remember those two courses coming up at the end of January, beginning of February, all about implementing foot wedges for exercise programming from rehab to return to performance. We'll see you next week.